calling all consumer goods, business owners, and marketing professionals. Does planning content ahead of time stress you out? Do you want to run Instagram and Facebook ads, but just aren't sure where to start? If your answer is yes and yes, then our mini course was made for you. It's 100% free and packed with essential tactics that you can implement as soon as today. To join in, visit our website at umaimarketing.com slash mini course. All right, let's get on with the pod. I'm Allison, co-founder of Umai, and we're being joined by Andy Kurtz, creative director and founder of Buttermilk Creative, a full-service design studio that's done the branding and packaging for The Fresh Market, Fire Cider, Publix Grocer, and Wegmans, and that's just to name a few. So welcome, Andy. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. Thanks for being here. I'm excited because to me, branding and packaging is just kind of a difficult mystery. So I'm hoping that you can demystify some things for me today. I will try. (laughs) Good. Well, let's start with your background. So how did you get into design? Sure. So I always knew when I was little that I wanted to be in some sort of creative field. And I was lucky enough, like through like sixth grade on to have some sort of art class in every single semester, whatever. And as it got closer in high school, I got closer to sort of like figuring out what I was going to study in college. I started being being very intentional about the classes I could take. And we had like a vocational high school here um, that you could travel to. And so I filled up my, my courses like junior and senior year with like computer arts and photography and, um, commercial art and all that kind of stuff, digital illustration. So, so when it came time to, you know, going out for college, I knew I wanted to do something creative. So um, initially I went to study um, fine art painting and realized very quickly that that's basically like one in a million kind of thing. Like to be like, that's like training to be a star athlete or, you know, star actor, you know, like the, the, the thought that a gallery is going to pick you up is crazy. So I quickly retooled and recalibrated and um, ended up going to the Ringling School of Art and Design, now it's called College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida, to study illustration and design there. And that's really where the, it all sort of gelled with me of this like intersection of fine art and, and business. And, um, and so um, studied there for four years and then worked at a print shop uh, right out of school, doing everything that they needed. And that was eye-opening because in school, they don't teach you about separation, print plates, uh, all the kind of uh, limited color printing, offset, all that kind of stuff. And so I got a bit of a trial by fire because the, um, the woman who ran the press was just, she didn't take anything from anybody. And so, <laughs> you know, so if I mess something up, she was right there. Were you printing like shirts or just anything? That, anything, business that... cards, brochures, they did digital printing and offset and letterpress printing. So it was like, it was everything as a full service print shop. And so that was really neat because I got to literally design something and then see it be made into a plate and then go on the press and then get printed like, you know, 5,000 copies or whatever. And so then I, um, my wife and I moved up to North Carolina and I started working at the Fresh Market and running their um, 
in-house design team. And it was really there that, that uh, I, I really found a love for packaging design and specialty food and beverage, which is what we now focus on. And, you know, during my time there, we did a ton of stuff that I think uh, when we started tracking our, our um, projects, we had like 500 projects a year or something. Wow. And, um, and a lot of that was the packaging design. And that was really interesting to work on it there because there was no line look, which when you think about a private brand design look at a grocery store, it's normally, you know, put the logo at the top product photography, item name, hit send, you know. For them, everything was a blank slate. And so what we did was we would look at the, the maker and the manufacturer for inspiration, the product, if there were any history there, and, and really just dug into that to inspire the look of the packaging. So while it was sort of maddening having to like restart every time, we wish we had some plug and play options for some of the stuff. It really helped me sort of refine how to um, how to design packaging for a wide variety of people. And so uh, so I was there for seven years and then um, six years ago started uh, Buttermilk Creative, just basically doing what I had a lot of experience doing with the fresh market, but just with our own clients. And it's really neat, like, you know, the specialty food and beverage industry is very, actually pretty small. And so a lot of the folks that I worked with at the fresh market went on to work at other places um, or for other brands. And we just, you know, just the network really grows itself. Mm -hmm. So cool. You're, you get to do your passion every day. That's awesome. But with the fresh market, when you're saying you're doing packaging design, is that like their self-produced products or is it other brands got help from y'all or how does that work? So so um, it's they, so it's like any kind of private label um, oh, okay. program. Yeah. Cool. So, so, you know, they would go out, source, you know, manufacturers that are offering sort of white label service or whatever. And then, so that was interesting too, because, you know, we would have to design within whatever parameters. So like, for instance, there was this crouton, this um, company that made croutons and their box was very distinct and we had that on the shelf at the fresh market and then the fresh market started working with them on making croutons fresh market brand croutons but it mm -hmm. came in the same shape of box so we had to be very clear you know like in our design because already the 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 form you know tied them together and so we had to be very clear on how we designed that crouton packaging so it didn't look anything like the, the people who made it mm -hmm. um, because there's not a lot of i mean no Unless it's like some kind of exclusivity thing, like grocery stores don't really want you to know who's making their products. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I just love that you have that background in grocery. So I'm really curious now that you're working with, you know, other clients, how does that affect your overall design? Oh, it, it I reference it all the time, daily. It really has built this great foundation and education for designing for brands. Because even if you're trying to get on to a mass market conventional grocery store or a super duper specialty grocery store, the rules of the shelf are sort of, are pretty much the same. And even before you get on the shelf, you have to get on a grocery buyer's 
radar. And, um, and then even before that, there's uh, a category review schedule. And so I got exposed to all this really inner workings of, of grocery stores that help my clients navigate all that. Now, by no means am I like a broker or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I have no idea <laughs> as that is not our specialty, but you know, if a, if a client calls me up and is like, Hey, I need, um, you know, quick samples or mock-ups because I'm going to a category review meeting or I'm sending stuff in for a category review meeting with my, uh, with a, with our broker in, in two weeks, I know exactly what they need and I can just crank it out for them, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, no, no more, no less. And so, um, you know, just being able to see that. And then also being able to see when there were, when there were samplings and cuttings, uh, you know, that's where they get a ton of samples and they lay it all out in the test kitchen and just go around and rate and eat everything and sample everything. So there'd be that a whole like- sounds awesome. <laughs> oh man. And so that, you know, but if you were invited to, let's say the ice cream cutting, you also had to go to the olive oil cutting, you know, or what, you know, <laughs> something that's, or the vinegar tasting or whatever, you know? Yeah. So they were like, you can't, you guys can't just cherry pick. If you want to be involved in this process, then you have to take the good with the bad. But, um, but no, it was, it was really neat because we could really see the, from the VP level to the coordinator level to like a specialist level, you know, the, what, what sort of resonated with them packaging wise outside of all the other stuff, you know, ingredient quality, margins, all that distribution, all that kind of stuff, all the sort of business stuff. But then we also could hear what aesthetically stuck out to them, but then also what disqualified a maker. So like if their nutrition facts panel wasn't formatted properly, or they didn't have a UPC code on their packaging, it could be the most amazing, best story, the greatest product ever. But if it wasn't compliant, it wasn't shelf ready, then mm -hmm. it just, it, it was too much work to go back to that maker and say, Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. Then so we'll they'd get cut just because of those. Yeah. So yes. what, what do you mean exactly by the nutritional facts not being formatted? Like it's like kind of oblong or <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy what people do to the, like the FDA provides lots of different formats for your packaging you know most people just think of that traditional just like mm -hmm. you know table version but there's a version where it's just words you know oh okay and, and so that would go on a really small package but a lot of folks just just take because you know that you you get a jpeg image of your nutrition facts and um from whoever then uh the lab or whatever. And then, and then you're like, okay, well, I need to get, take this format and then just slap it on this label or whatever. So they just shrink it or they squeeze it or they compress it. And it's while technically you have a nutrition facts panel, it's not, well, for one, it's not doing the consumer any good because they can't read it. Mm -hmm. And there is a potential that it'll get flagged in, in, um, by the FDA. And then you have to fix it and there might be fines associated with that. So just that awareness of, of all the different formats and which one can go with which um, size of label. The size of label really drives everything. Wow, um, that's, that's uh, 
something so small, I feel like a lot of people could easily overlook, but um, so those are the no-nos. What are, are there any, like you, you talked about grocery buyers resonating with certain types of packaging. Is there anything that stands out that people should look to add to their design? I think it's always having, you don't clutter the packaging, but having good call outs that are relevant to your customer and the, the, the category that you're in. So, you know, if it's like a, this is a very generic example, but if, you know, you're making an energy bar, then make sure you mention keto and paleo or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, so like really being able to, and, and then any relevant certifications or logos like USDA organic or non-GMO, that kind of stuff that really resonates with grocery buyers because they know that that all of those certifications to use those logos cost money. Well, first of all, you have to get your product approved and your facility approved and all that kind of stuff. And then you have to keep it up and, and that's, you pay for that every year. So obviously you're invested in whatever. The standards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that, I think that means a lot beyond that. It's very, I mean, they're, you know, they're really looking for stuff that is going to stand out on the shelf. Mm -hmm. It's going to be different um, than what they currently have. And so if you have the ability, then you go to whatever store you're, you're going to try to get into and really look at the set, you know, and really understand, okay, that everything's dark or everything's brown here. You know, let's say like the granola set, you know, everything's either really light or really brown. So maybe we do a bright bag, you know, for ours yeah. or whatever. And, and so that's because they're really, and, and they're also, this is nothing I have control over, but they're also looking for like what the format is and like, how many they can get on the shelf and all that kind of stuff. So if you have some kind of funky shape or something and, you know, your competitor can get, you know, four bags on a shelf and because you're a crazy shape, you can only do two, you know, that's mm. going to hinder you. But, and then aesthetically, you know, it's all very subjective, I mm -hmm. think. You okay. Know, no matter from, from like the, and every, everybody has their own, like, you know, their own, taste <laughs> yeah like fresh market's gonna be different than like walmart you know yeah. like and even within those organizations we had super conservative people that like were grocery veterans that were like oh no you gotta have the starburst you know in the corner you know and then there were the you know other folks who were like really in touch with like cutting edge you know trendy design and they would push us to be more you know, out of the box and be more subtle and whatever. So it just ran the gamut there too. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, you'll, you'll find the same, you know, wherever, wherever it is, they're all, that's why we work with a lot of other grocery stores is that we have worked in-house at a grocery store. So there's already a, a bit of a learning curve that we've already gotten over because it's a quirky world, you know, mm -hmm. and like it, it's a, it, it's, to, to take a designer who maybe has been working in an agency environment and then say, okay, now you're going to freelance with this in-house in-house department at a grocery store. It's a, it's a totally different animal. And so that's sort of a value add that we bring is that we, we can just get plugged into the team, like right away. Um, Very cool. Huge value. And yeah. I love that tip. Uh, just go to the store, 
And I mean, when you're starting your branding journey, like go to the store and just be different. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious, but so we talked about grocery buyers, kind of what they're looking for. I mean, like you said, it's going to vary, but anything specific that consumers are looking for, is that also, how can brands know what their consumers are going to look for on the shelf, I guess? Yeah. Well, that just goes back to uh, knowing who your target customer is and speaking to them, you know, and like really having a laser focus on, on who that is and being as specific as you can to way too many, uh, I think brands out there sort of skip over that process. And like we, we talked to one, one of our, one of our clients early on and they were, we were like, okay, well, who's your target customer? And they said, anyone with a mouth. And it was oh, like, gosh. That, is, that is not, I've heard that so many times. I'm like, that's not right. That, that's <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, it's, it's understanding exactly who that is. And then that's, you know, creating your, your messaging and your packaging all around that de- detaching yourself from it mm-hmm. and, and really focusing on who that, cause it, you know, you could be, you know, a 30 something year old dude like me who wants to make something that's targeted for, you know, older women or something, you know, I'm going to need to really research, which we're actually doing right now. We're making a, a, a packaging for powdered supplements that is gonna target like Gen X women. And so I had to sort of take a step back and say, well, you know, what, what, what's going to resonate with that? How do you <laughs> figure that out? Are you just like on TikTok? Like? <laughs> well, well, not TikTok. Did I say Gen X? What's the, what was the, um, the nineties? Who, who was, um, the nineties and early two thousands? Was that Gen Mill- millennials before millennials? So whoever, whatever that generation was before millennials. Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> so it's, it would be, you know, people like women who grew up in like, like the eighties, late seventies, early eighties into the nineties come, come of age in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know? And so it turns out that that demographic is not spoken to really. And so our client, we worked with a, with a person who does marketing research and, you know, like when you think about powdered supplements, you're going to automatically think, oh, it's, it's a younger crowd. It's possibly skews female health focused exercise and you, you do all that. And you've basically just described every core customer for every right. powdered supplement brand out there. And so, um, so she was, a, she sort of uncovered this like untapped demographic for this type of product. It, you know, that I think those folks are, that demographic's just as interested in eating good food and um, being healthy and active and all that kind of stuff as the younger crowd, you know? And so, so we didn't make like the packaging look like a Nirvana album cover, (laughs) which would be sick. I mean, (laughs) pretty neat. Um, But we knew that that again, that wasn't really that. While they might have listened that music, it's visually probably wouldn't have. It would have been weird, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we just worked on how how do we you know just really try to put on our uh, our target customer hat, you know, and um, 
because I, it doesn't look like a design that I would necessarily be attracted to. But and I, I think that must be really difficult to, I mean, like you said, you're a 30 something year old man constantly having to design for other people, which is, makes a great designer, <laughs> but like, tell us more how you get into that. Like you said, the customer avatars hat, are you listening to Nirvana every night and like <laughs> drawing what you do or what? I, I guess I just try to immerse myself in, in the research and, and just really try to check all the assumptions at the door. And, um, and I also have great help from my wife who doesn't, isn't in the creative work on a day-to-day basis. She's a studio director. So she is invoicing and, you know, sending emails out and sort of doing that kind of stuff and managing other things. And so she really can sort of look over my shoulder and say like, what are you doing? Who's, who is that? Who are you designing for? And really helps sort of ground me. Cause I will, I will get fall back into, you know, some like just things that I like visually that do not fit. And so she, she, that's, that's a super help as well. So having, having someone with fresh eyes look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's just leaning into it. And and by now, I think I don't really, the thing that I, my goal is not to make something cool. It's to make something that the client is going to be happy with and is hopefully going to make them a lot of money. And so whether I think it's cool or not, or aesthetically pleasing or whatever is so, I mean, it's, it's part of it. And I'd like to think that what I'm making is going to look good on the shelf, but would I put pink at the top of a box or whatever? Like maybe not, but if that's what the client wants and feels that is going to resonate with their core customer and it's going to fly off the shelf, then I'm putting pink up there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we just talked about the customer avatar, how you get in that zone, but how do you tell the story of a brand in such a small space? Like, how is that done? Oh man. (laughs) Um, Sounds like a challenge. It it totally is. Yeah. And it's even more challenging. So like I worked on a, uh, these um, gourmet butters and the cup is about an inch and a half tall. The design space was about an inch and a half tall. So then the cup is slightly taller, you know? So I had to sum up this whole, you know, story of this amazing butter that had, you know, is developed by this, the the maker is from France and he's got this whole culinary background and his grandma made this type of, you know, table flavored table butter or whatever, all into this little tiny thing. So, I mean, it really, you're just looking for anything that is very that that you can pull from the history or from the story and and integrate if it's a color if it's a little symbol if it's a um i don't know you don't you and then you have to also accept that you're not gonna be able to get everything across on that packaging too and you know and there's other opportunities with the website and in other places to further tell the story so yeah it's a it's a balance Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Finding that, that customer, that target customer, if, if um, you're a part of that process in any yes. way, how, how That's can right. branding people help with that process? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. We are part of that process. 
it, it there are plenty of specialty studio or firms you know that that help with that specifically but we can help embody it that avatar you know like once you get once you nail down who that persona is then then that is really when we can start humming along with like because that's going to inform objectively the work the founder might this goes back to to what i was earlier saying you as the founder might hate the color orange but when i present something orange to you and you bring up oh you know you know i hate the color orange it's like well but your target customer like prove to me that your target customer hates the color orange mm -hmm. you know and it just gives you as the the designer a leg to stand on when because that's the the that's like the the um worst thing poison pill for a design project is those subjective feelings that come into play and when people give criticism or try to give criticism who aren't used to giving criticism like go art school like we were so used to being you know torn apart at a critique that that really doesn't none of that bothers me yeah and and also giving constructive criticism you know but a lot of the founders that we work with they they're not used to that and it's uncomfortable to talk about design and when and so you can either accept that you don't really know what you're talking about because I don't I can't tell you how to run a snack company yeah <laughs> you know I don't know the first thing about it you know how to set up a line to fill bags of chips you know I don't I'm not going to tell you uh, you know anything about that so the sort of I think a lot of people assume that oh design is easy you can I can give I can give feedback and it's not and it, the the sooner you can accept that and just say, I'm out of my element, but I want, but you know, I can help you sort of walk through what you're sort of feeling and then translate it into actual feedback that will help the design. Yeah. So, design is, is difficult to talk about because yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how you communicate like design. I, I mean, like there's Pinterest and I think that's like a, kind of a, a bridge to help people communicate like their, yeah. their feelings, <laughs> Exactly. but it's, it's hard. Yeah. 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 The, I mean, you know, any, anywhere along the way, you know, a, a good way to do it is through a mood board, which is basically, you know, just creating a Pinterest board mm -hmm. and aligning on, you know, what a client means when they say, clean and modern, you know, and it's like my interpretation of clean and modern is going to be different than your interpretation of clean and modern. So let's align on that. And, and then if that's what you want your packaging, packaging to be, and it aligns with your target customer, then we, we have a baseline, but sometimes, you know, a mood board is too conceptual for a client and they're like, what am I looking at? So you're going to actually, you know, use that font. It doesn't say our name you know, or whatever, you know, cause you can also put font choices yeah. um, on, on mood boards along with color and along with just overall look and feel. I mean, we, we sort of do a case by case basis because we've presented mood boards where people just got way too literal with them and just couldn't get away from them. And they thought that literally that's what their packaging was going to look like. And it was like, <laughs> no, we're just trying to capture a mood here. Yeah. Mood board. But yeah, that's, and then trying to uh, you know help your your client like i know that it's hard to to give feedback and so i don't 
I'm not going to use, I'm not going to overwhelm them with a bunch of design terms, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. I know if a client doesn't like a font, they can't reference and say like what it is. Like, you know, they're not going to say, well, I just want the serif to be more humanist, you know, or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know what that means. But I they, do not. <laughs> yeah. And so like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know, you know, you can't. So like when they say like, I don't know, I just the, you know, the font that, that, that font feels too cold. And if it's like a, you know, a, a sans serif, then I probably need to explore some serif, more warm, friendly fonts that mm -hmm. feel more, more human looking, you know, versus That's, something that looks more computer looking. It's so interesting. It really is. I mean, I love that you have to like dissect what someone's trying to say on a constant basis to get it right. Oh yeah. It's very cool. Um, <laughs> But you did talk about the the evolution of brands. So I just wanted to ask, should a brand design their packaging knowing that in the future that they'll most likely want to do a refresh or should they design something that's withstanding time? Sure. So especially for like a startup brand, they you can almost guarantee that whatever packaging you launch with, no matter if you invest $500, or a million dollars, you're gonna redo it very quickly. And and so a lot of the startup brands, we sort of try to steer away from, like they should look at more economical options mm, okay. because, and then come to us afterwards when they're out there for, for a year or so. Cause I can see that getting someone really stuck on launching is like the branding yeah. has to oh, be yeah. right. And it's just like, just yeah. get it out. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And so I just, an article that I wrote for the Startup CPG Spotlight blog, it's part, I, it was uh, whatever, published last Friday. And it's a, gonna be a series where I talk to founders about what kind of packaging they um, started with and launched with and what the packaging looks like now. Oh, that's you kind know. of like the social media trend. Yeah. That's that, happening right now. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And that's what it's called. It's called, uh, what is it? The, this is how it started. This and is how, this it's, is how going. it's going. Yeah. yeah. So yeah oh, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. And so thank you. And like that is, and so the one that just published is with the folks who started Bare Bones Broth and it's um, Kate and Ryan Harvey. And I talked to Kate about it. And yeah, like when you look at how they started, looks nothing like what it looks like now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and some of that was due to, you know, just the challenges of a small brand. Like they had to do a label on a stock bag versus now they can get bags printed and it's beautiful full color bags. But, um, but then it also was, you know, you can tell the design aesthetic wasn't as obviously polished, but, you know, they just needed to get out there and just, you know, learn along the way versus, right. yeah, getting hung up because, yeah, you can almost guarantee it's going to get redesigned. And then for like more established brands, then, you know, obviously I'm trying to create something that's going to be somewhat timeless. So it doesn't look like it's you know, you can tell something was designed in 2020 or whatever, mm -hmm. but you can pretty much guarantee just based on a lot of different factors that 
you're going to get a redesign or you should start exploring a redesign around five years. That's really, but then most, the shelf life of most designs, if the company is, you know, sticks around is around 10 years. Okay. But yeah, like if you really want to keep things fresh and keep, you know, on top of, you know, revisiting call outs or revisiting sort of small tweaks that might improve your packaging and visibility, then, you know, five years is, is a good rule of thumb. Great. I love having those hard numbers. I know it's not a hard number, but I, yeah. I think that's really helpful to kind of wrap your head around. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I would love to get your input on sustainability where sustainable packaging, what, what things you're excited about in that realm um, or where, where we're moving towards for that. Yeah, I am. I'm really excited, but then also sort of like frustrated because the options are super limited and it, you know, it's really going to take someone like a Coca-Cola or one of these large CPG companies to really lean into sustainable packaging. Then that will help everyone else be able to because it's got to go down the chain right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's just so expensive right now and but it, it's critical now i did hear something interesting the other day that we focus a lot on compostability and like you know making something that you can throw away and they were basically like no 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 whether you're recycling or whether you're, you know, throwing it into a landfill or doing some kind of compostable thing, you're still generating trash and waste. And really what we should really be focusing on is reusability. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, that's one thing that I've been really inspired by is seeing how folks are, you know, doing the reusable thing. There's this soap, soap company that uh, sends out the little like dissolvable pods, like your first, your kit that you buy has like the pump in it or, you know, the whole thing. And then you do a subscription and then, you know, in a, in a month or whatever, they still, they just send you a little pod, they pop in there and shake it up with water. Yeah. And, and that's really neat to think about how you can apply that reusable, refillable, to, to other industries. And yeah, I, every client we work with, we try to help them navigate sustainable packaging or explore sustainable packaging or just lesser impact packaging, just because, you know, it's hard. And sometimes just they, there's not, the investment just isn't there, you know, and like the budget isn't there. And we don't, we can't, we don't, our, you know, business isn't on the line. And so we can't push them too much, but we do try to every conversation when it comes to, to a format and substrate, we try to bring that up. You give the options. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I completely agree. It's got to start from the top because it's just, it's probably way too expensive. I know a lot of brands start with like glass and things like that, but as they grow, they just can't keep up with that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Any other packaging innovations that excite you? Um, let's see. There was this really interesting company that I talked to that they do this neat thing. I think it's called Phantom, Phantom Graphics maybe. And basically what they do is it's only with um, clear pressure sensitive labels right now, but they're exploring other materials. But basically they, through printing 
on top of the label and behind the label, uh, a certain pattern, it looks like the, the image that you've printed is moving. It's, 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 it's hard to describe, but it's really Like cool. a 3D thing? Yeah, like, did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever have like books that had like overlapping black and white images? And when yeah. you sort of moved them over the, they look like they're moving. Um, yeah, I think not, I know what you're talking about. It's not a hologram. It's not like a lenticular printing, which is sort of like when you have something that you sort of move back and forth and it, you know, it's like textured. This is something totally different. And it's, I don't know, it was just fascinating to me that they have been able to like pressure sensitive, clear printing on clear pressure sensitive labels is, it's not the oldest, you know, type of packaging printing. But it's it's um it's not particularly new, but they've been able to 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 make something that's old, new and interesting. You know, you can think about the implications for like a, you know, like you could put a clear label on a beer can, and that would be really neat. <laughs> you know, because it's already sort of a you know a funky category, and you know, always looking for ways to innovate. We are actually potentially going to work with them on uh, one of our clients who she makes um, called True North Beauty. She makes um, skincare with chaga mushrooms. And she's got this beautiful like malachite pattern as part of her packaging. And to just think about how if that if that malachite looked like it was moving, you know, like almost like water, you know, moving mm, around. Cool. I don't know. Just. And so that's, and that would be appropriate for her category, you know, cause like you just expect to have really beautiful, rich packaging experiences with health and beauty. Well, if that project goes through, definitely ping us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to see that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, that's exciting. My final question is something that we like to ask everyone. It's a difficult one though. So uh, what are some of your favorite brands or packaging designs right now that we can all look at and get inspired by it's hard to choose favorites we know <laughs> i know i know let's see yeah what are who are some of the yeah <laughs> okay here i'm gonna name some studios that i am constantly amazed with what they're putting out okay um just because i follow them and the, and then you get, can look at their work okay is that okay yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> so there's this one that's basically who I consider just about the leader in in this sort of um, natural products packaging design world is um, Interact in Boulder. They any think of any sort of like that when you've gone to like Expo West or one of the trade shows and like there's a really cool brand in packaging that they've probably had a hand in it. Um, so I'm always looking to them on like a daily basis, like who are they working with or who do they launch? Or I try to guess if I see like a cool new natural product out there, I'm like, I bet, I bet <laughs> Interact had something to do with them. Another really neat one is Miller. I think it's Miller Creative in New Jersey. They do a lot of, uh, you know, super great work and look on their Instagrams. That's where um, mm -hmm. the best place I think to, to see things. But yeah, it's sort of funny. Like I, I do packaging on a daily basis, but I, it sort of has become sort of noise to me as well. So like I look for inspiration outside of packaging 
Oh um, yeah. That's you know, cool. Because if you just look at packaging, then you're just going to sort of. It all kind whatever. of merges together maybe. Everybody, yeah. What everybody else is making. So, so yeah. So yeah, that's a. So how do you get inspired? Let me ask you that. <laughs> oh man. Um, with my art and, um, and just trying to expose myself to as much in things outside of the design world as I can. I mean, like you have to, you have to, on one hand, be in tune with it so that you're creating things that are within the same, you know, visual trend or vocabulary so that customers, you know, what you're designing is going to resonate with customers. But on the other hand, you can't, you, you have to infuse different new inspiration so that you don't look like everyone else. So yeah, like I've just because of my background, I love art and I love painting. And so I'll pull out, you know, I've got this whole, a whole bunch of art books and, you know, that's where I'll, I'll look for, so like there was a few years ago, there was a um, California olive oil that I was designing. And one of my favorite movements um, is uh, a painting was the Bay Area figurative movement. And there's this one particular painter named Richard Diebenkorn. And he did these really neat, like, like uh, geometric paintings. And um, they were basically look like landscapes, but they were geometric. And it's just, they're amazing and they got a lot of texture and everything. I pulled, I basically designed the, because it's California olive oil, this was a California art movement. I sort of tied those two together and, and made the label look like that. One of the ideas, the other idea was a like sort of, um, sort of a, a cliff with like the ocean would look very like quintessential, like highway one, like you pull off mm -hmm. the side of the road. That's the option they went with but I still had that other option which had a ton of like you know like all this like sort of art history associated with it yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll do that a lot are you like choose this one <laughs> yeah I was like I was like it's, it's a slam dunk you know and they were just like I don't know I just really like the the seaside one it just really sums it up and I was like okay oh man that must be hard <laughs> <laughs> oh man you need I've to got... like frame all your favorites too and just be like yeah. this should have won <laughs> yeah oh man I've I long ago have stopped picking favorites with with my designs oh yeah and just yeah. you know I mean in the you you just can't put anything out there that you wouldn't be proud being associated <laughs> with you know yeah like yeah. that was that was sort of the rule of thumb when I first started was or what one of the techniques we used was always include a really bad one so that the other two look really good and do you looked, actually do that oh yeah we 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 would, we would. that's and it, a like behavior like 101 is like oh, yeah. don't really give them choices yeah <laughs> give them a bad choice and a good choice yeah so now we just limit the options and we only present the you know just a couple options that we feel really strongly about and they could pick either one and we would be happy so yeah uh that's <laughs> but yeah like i yeah the my favorite designs like that my my hard drive is filled with so many of those that just never see the light of day <laughs> yeah kind of sad you you should have like a second website of like andy's graveyard or something yes. i don't know yeah 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 That'd be cool uh, I'll, I'll try that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, this was really fun and 
I learned a lot. Thank you for talking to us about branding and packaging. You bet. Um, everyone needs to go check out Buttermilk Creative. Can you tell people where they can find you or reach you? You bet. Yeah. Buttermilkcreative.com is where you can see us. And then on Instagram, we're Buttermilk Creative. And then um, we are on Clubhouse. And I love Clubhouse. Oh and yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I host a show every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern with my my friend Kirk, who's also another Kirk Fazola, who is a uh, another packaging designer on the West Coast. And we just have a blast. We talk for an hour just about anything packaging related. Ooh, My Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scene insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at Umai Marketing or check out our website, umaimarketing.com. Catch you back here soon.